Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 256 is with Lauren Shippen from Bridgewater, season two. I'm good. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. I, I love Bridgewater. And the reason why is because I grew up with, with Radio Mystery Theater, and, and it's this kind of stuff that really, I, I, I'm always going to say that this is why I got into radio and why I'm not mm. that typical radio disc jockey. It's, it's always been about theater of the mind. I, I, I love that. And thank you so much for, for saying that you enjoy it. That means a lot. The way you write it, and I know you're with Aaron, and I've been with Aaron so many times. I love that man. He knows that I love his writing and his skills as, as that guy who can draw pictures. But you're teamed up with a genius here, girl. Yeah, I mean, he is he is absolutely wonderful. And collaborating with him on this project has been a complete treat. I mean, his his brain when it comes to you know, folklore and monsters and creating this world that we've created in Bridgewater. It's just amazing to get to borrow for the time that we're working on this. And what's fun about this is that, uh, first of all, I, there, it's a triangle of paranormal activities that include monsters. And each episode is it has its own personality. That's what I love about it is that it's like when you go into it, it might be a reminder of where you've been. But no, 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 we're going someplace. Yeah, I mean, Aaron and I are both such huge fans of the X-Files, and I think that that's a really big inspiration point for this particular show and the way that, that we structured it, which is that it is a you know serialized story. There's a, a main character and overarching uh, arc, you know, plot arc that we are following, but then every episode we do want to explore the, a different corner of this Bridgewater Triangle and a different monster, a different piece of folklore, and kind of keep that monster of the week flavor that the X-Files had. I'm glad you brought up X-Files because I, I, was, I sat there and, and really pondered on it for a long time going, if I bring it up, she's going to think I'm comparing it and she's just going to go, I'm, I want out of this conversation. I, we're we're <laughs> no, better. I will, I will talk about the X-Files anytime. <laughs> you know, mastering the art of fiction inside a podcast because, you know, so many times listeners are going there for the laugh, for the news, they're going there for the sports, mm -hmm. but you have developed a relationship with your listeners that makes writing in a car or sitting in an office, that to me is what it's all about. I, I totally agree, and I, and I really enjoy the phrase theater of the mind that you use. That's something I'm always thinking of as well. And one of my favorite things about getting to work in fiction podcasting specifically, you know, I also write books and I've, I've worked in a couple of other mediums, but fiction podcast is, is my bread and butter. One of the things I love about it and the reason that I sort of stick around there no matter what is because of this relationship that you get to build with your listener, whether they're in their car, whether they're doing their dishes, whether they are just sitting on their couch listening with their eyes closed. So I know some people do when listening to fiction specifically. You are creating this one-on-one -on -one relationship that I just I, I love to to foster and to find the ways to write scenes that are going to be particularly exciting or emotional or funny in audio specifically. And then, of course, having wonderful actors is a yeah. huge, huge piece of it. <laughs> in season two, what what was really interesting is that you started off with chapter eleven. I and and that really got my attention because so many people would say, "Oh, season two, this is chapter one of season two. But no, you continue mm. it forward. Is it what is what you do yeah and we really pick off if you if you you know listen to all of season one right now uh mm -hmm. which you certainly can do because it's all out and we are uh currently releasing season two you can go directly from the end of the last episode of season one into the first episode of season two and it's pretty much continuous we pick up exactly where we left off with the big cliffhanger that we left off in season one and just kind of t you know take it moment by moment from that exact cliffhanger when when you were first introduced to jeremy bradshaw in in this story mm -hmm. did, did you look at Aaron and say okay where are you going with this 
I, I think actually I sort of I sort of felt I knew exactly where he was going because okay. he yeah yeah he had pitched this idea to me as there's this guy in the Bridgewater Triangle whose dad had this mysterious disappearance many decades before, and Aaron said and you know I think it could be interesting for him to be a folklore professor and I just I grabbed onto that immediately because I think it it fits so perfectly into who Aaron is as a creator, right? Mm -hmm. He is sort of the world's folklore professor through lore. Um, and so it was very, it was very easy for me to sort of imagine like, okay, well, what if I, you know, took some of Aaron and some of me, and then of course, when we got Misha Collins in the role, some of Misha and melded this into a person and added this, you know, weird, wacky Bridgewater Triangle stuff on top of it. And the character really just sprang to life, which is always what you want. You know, you want the characters to come that easily. Am I the only one that thinks that 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 uh, uh, Jeremy Bradshaw is really uh, Aaron who wanted to get lost in this world? Because I mean, th there are so many times I'm, I'm listening to the story going, oh, this is Aaron. Aaron's looking in the <laughs> mirror. It's absolutely him. I mean, I definitely, I, I don't know how he would feel about this, but I I definitely feel like I was trying to put some of him in there and, you know, and, and this area of the country that he knows so much about and that he loves. And, um, I also grew up in the, in the Northeast and spent a lot of time in Massachusetts kind of around the Bridgewater Triangle. I didn't know about it at the time, but I'm just very familiar with that area. And so I think that there's, there's a, a little bit of both of us, or maybe a lot of bit of both of us that would love to wander into the woods in Massachusetts and see something we can't explain. I see. I love the woods. I, I live in a forest, so I, I've always believed that everything oh. inside this forest, this was from the 1300s, the 1400s, when I have the inspiration mm -hmm. to write, it's because somebody was here before me and I've now got their energy. I love that. I, and I think that that's something I live on the West Coast now and I live in the Pacific Northwest, which is another wonderfully spooky place. Mm -hmm. But there is something uh, very fun and interesting about the, the East Coast specifically and sort of the the long history there and the and just the yeah, the, the old buildings and the old trails and all of that kind of stuff. And we don't necessarily dive that deep into it in Bridgewater itself. But I think a lot of the the lore and mythology that we draw on is so tied into the history of the region, um, both, you know, colonial history and obviously pre-colonial of the, the Native American people who've been living there and mm -hmm. telling legends there for a long time. When when you said the Pacific Northwest, right away, my heart goes, oh, no wonder they brought up Bigfoot because you're in Bigfoot country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bigfoot does get a shout out this season um, because I am living in the Pacific Northwest, and because you know you can't you can't t do a show about monsters and folklore without bringing up Bigfoot at least once. I oh, think. Oh yeah. Oh my God. They they say that Bigfoot is actually living here in the Carolinas as well, over in the Albemarle area, and and it's like no, no, that's a Pacific Northwest thing. I'm from Montana. <laughs> we own Bigfoot. It's really crazy, though, because once you go actually into, you know, I've read all of these books and all of these old newspaper articles and things like that of different sightings through the years of different creatures. And Bigfoot really is one of those that has been spotted all over the place. Yeah. yeah. So now one of the strange, interesting twists here is rediscovering a trail of a missing person that's been gone for, like you said, decades. It's, I, I want to say 40. And, and, the, mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, though, is that to be in that moment as writers and producers, how do you go back 40 years? You're, you're doing some serious research here. You're doing something to make it sound so real. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I've been doing a lot of reading of uh, folklore and mythology and news articles and, and things like that um, from the last, you know, 
several decades specifically around Bridgewater, but then also just the folklore in general. And um, one writer who's been incredibly helpful is a writer, Lauren Coleman, who we name drop in the in the podcast a couple of times. He's a cryptozoologist who coins the term Bridgewater Triangle. And his books are really helpful in not only the folklore, but sort of also in, in the way in which people talked about their sightings, the ways in which the police reported on these sightings um and you know our character who went missing 40 years ago was a police officer at the time and so it did really help inform um a lot of the way that that we think about and talk about that particular disappearance um just drawing on really news articles and firsthand accounts of that time period um, and then also, you know, I, I do lean, Aaron's a little bit older than me, so I do lean on him a little bit for, you know, what it would have been like to be a, a kid a couple of decades ago um, <laughs> when those things come up. But uh, yeah, in the second season, we are, our relationship to that character who disappeared is a little different mm-hmm. in, a, in a really fun way. So um, that becomes less of a concern. Do you feel violated in the way that the way that, you know, folklore is what what taught many of us that that's the reason why we read. That's the reason why we go to movies. That's the reason, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we had things planted inside our imagination. And now the U.S. government recognizes UFOs. And I'm going, why are you going there? Don't don't do that. It, no, we want this <laughs> or, to be the UAPs, great history. as they're now called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, come on now. What what do you feel like? It's like, you know, they're going into areas because they want to be popular. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, they do get a lot of press whenever those things come out. Um, no, I mean, I, I think I think it, if anything, just adds to the allure. Right. I think it's the same same way I feel about alien life and alien fiction. Right. Because I am definitely one of those people that we live in a, in a extremely vast and unknown universe. Of course, there's other life forms out there. And. To me, that statistical certainty doesn't make consuming alien fiction any less interesting because the reality is, is that we haven't, you know, been visited by aliens as far as we know. And, you know, there might not be any close enough for us to ever be visited by aliens. And so it's still fun to explore those those fictional fringes. I think it's the same thing with, you know, the government sort of acknowledging that, yeah, there's sometimes things that fly in the sky that we don't know what they are. Um, I think it just gives us more room to then say, all right, well, there are things in the sky that we don't know what they are. So what could they be? And we can, you know, spin off into our fictional imaginings from there. Because I'm a daily writer, I love recognizing other people's brilliance when it comes to writing. And when you have a statement such as a chance at seeing a second chance, I stop and I go, oh, God, Mm -hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I, I one of the things that I really love about this story in particular and science fiction or horror or any kind of, you know, uh, supernatural genre in general is getting to focus on the emotional and the human through the inhuman and the fantastical. And I think, you know, with Bridgewater, our main story is really about Jeremy Bradshaw and his journey and mm-hmm. his relationship to his father and to himself and the way that he's operated in the world as somebody who had this terrible thing happen to him when he was a child of his father going missing and getting to focus on those second chances at a relationship or at living your life the way that you want or a second chance at a relationship with somebody you didn't even know you'd had a first chance with which which is the relationship he has with his sort of mentor partner figure and becker and 
yeah, I, I really just I, I I really relish any chance to dive into those emotional conversations within the genre of speculative fiction because I think that those two things paired together are just so fun. Let's let's talk about those characters and the development of the characters because one of the things that fascinates me as a producer is the way that your characters are going through the story and sharing the story. They're not overacting. I'm not doing this. It's it's almost like mm-hmm. we're in the center of this circle and they're having this nice gentle conversation and it just draws you in even more because they're they're not overacting they're giving you mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. yeah i mean so so much of that is the actors and just the the wonderful chemistry that they have with each other and just just their talent um and of course you know creating an environment in recording that is that is able to foster those things. I directed the first season of Bridgewater. Um, this season, it was directed by a wonderful director, um, Brendan Hughes, who, who took over for me and has just done a fabulous job. And you know, one of the things that we talked about when I was prepping him on you know directing season two, uh, sort of passing the baton, as it were, is is just really focusing on creating these grounded performances and making sure that no matter what they were talking about, whether it's Bigfoot or, mm. you know, the trauma of childhood, however grounded or not grounded it might be, always making sure that the performers and the characters are meeting those things, you know, as grounded realities in their in their lives and that they're reacting in a way that feels natural. Um, and that's something that, that Misha and I talked a lot about too with the second season because Misha was really involved. You know, he, he read all the scripts and uh, we, you know, developed Jeremy's arc this season together um, versus the first season was written sort of in its entirety before he came aboard. And finding those moments where, okay, Jeremy does need to freak out here because this wild thing is happening versus, versus, okay, actually, no, Jeremy now can, can react to this sort of larger second thing because he's now processed this first thing. I'm trying to speak really vaguely because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, But I think just really making sure that you think about who the person is and how they would behave in our world and then imagining okay i I know that person they're a person in my life and they do actually encounter something supernatural how are they going to react and i think that you know it, it can be everything from just not believing that anything happened at all to you know shouting and and screaming and swearing and freaking out about it because I think that none of us really know how we would react uh, if we encountered something like that in the woods. And so just no matter what, making sure that it feels real to the moment and to the character is something that I think is is my job to start and then the director and actor's job to really, you know, land that plane. It, I, man, I wish I had more minutes with you because I, I really <laughs> want to break this show down because I want listeners to understand the piece of art that this really is and how you and Aaron have put something together that is really a travel companion or just a, a way to get, break free of life if you're sitting in your house as well. Um, and plus, you, you. you give me the best excuse now. And, and that if people say, Errol, what were you thinking? I'm trapped in an in-between world. I'll come out when I can. And I mean, I just. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect excuse. (laughs) Please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you so much, Arrow. This was so wonderful. Will you be brilliant today? Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. You too. 
You had more time, Arrow. Oh, well then, hey, how have you been, Lauren? It's been a couple of minutes since the last time I saw you. <laughs> oh, I've been great. I've I've done so so much writing since we last spoke. Really? So now let's let's talk about that writing. Does it fall out of your writing instrument, or what? What are you doing? Are you putting it in your smartphone? Uh, you know, your voice in it, and then coming back to it. How how does it pre, you know get presented to your to your imagination? You know, it's so funny. You're the first person to ever ask me if I record my writing before actually writing it down. And yeah, I do do that sometimes. Um, I, you know, sometimes if I am, uh, you know, doing something that is not sitting on my computer and, and typing as I mostly do my writing that way, um, I will pull up the voice memo app on my phone and I will talk aloud mm-hmm. through a conversation and then listen back to it later on and you know type it up and make it actually something readable versus just my in the moment ramblings. Um, but for, you know, for the most part, it's, it's like any other kind of writing, you know, you sit down, you might have an outline, you might not, I'm not the greatest outliner in the world. So for Bridgewater, I had a broad strokes of what happened in each episode, but in terms of, you know, scene to scene, I would sort of just find it as I went. Um, and then if I am not recording sort of beforehand and finding the words that way, I will always go through the whole script and read it out loud and sort of, you know, in my office, pretend to be each character yeah, yeah. <laughs> and act each line out just so I can hear how it comes together. Um, because I think that that's, that's a, a good way to get that first gut check on how the dialogue is going to flow. Obviously, you can't get a full sense of it when you're just by yourself. Um, but that can be really helpful to make sure that the things that I'm writing are coming out naturally. You know, and always also encouraging actors to change things as they see fit mm-hmm. um, in order to fit into their natural speaking cadence. Because I'm not a word perfect writer by any means especially when it comes to dialogue you know you want it to sound natural and so um the actor is is the ultimate stopping point for all of that stuff and so it needs to fit in in their voice and you've got to learn to trust that voice because i also put it in mm-hmm. a smartphone and what i'll do is is i you know because I, I believe in stream thinking as it's happening just get it down and then i'll go mm-hmm. for a walk through the forest and i'll listen to the thoughts going okay i can build on this i or Ooh, i don't like that i can take away do, do you would you go for a walk do you sit in the car what do you do Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a playlist for everything that I write. So mm-hmm. that's usually actually one of my first bits of, of writing process work. Uh, it's not actually writing, but I will usually spend a good amount of time. Sometimes it's, you know, a couple of hours and everything comes really quickly. Sometimes I'll take a couple of weeks and mull things over and listen to a bunch of music and figure out, you know, what exactly the playlist is going to sound like. But for both season one and season two, I, I had a, a playlist for for Bridgewater that I created kind of before really sitting down and writing. Um, and as, you know, Aaron and I were talking about the season and and building the story together. And then I go on, yeah, long walks around my neighborhood and listen to that playlist and think and just sort of let, I, I, don't, I don't actually write anything down usually. I sort of let the thoughts come. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that are still sticking by the time I get back to my computer after my walk are the ones that, you know, the, the, the cream has risen ideally. Is it a twist or a cliffhanger when Bradshaw and Beckers think the journey is over and then we all as listeners get the gigantic butt? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's both. I think now it's a twist because you can listen mm-hmm. right through into season two and then there's more cliffhangers as we go along. But that really is the, the big twist at the end of season one is that things are not what they expect them to be. And then all of a sudden the questions that they thought they were asking become different questions entirely in season two. And and 
we're only a few episodes into season two currently, but as we go into it, we are we're going to be stepping into completely different territory compared to season one. You know, it's a different after that twist at the end of season one, we are operating under completely different rules. And it was really fun to get to open up those doors and play with that. God, I love talking to you. you you've you just got the most positive <laughs> energy about taking words and making stories, which then to me, that that's what music is all about. And I, this is just another mm-hmm. form of music is what it is. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I'm a huge, huge music fan. I was a music major in college, and it's it's such a, a driving force for my writing, too. And so it's always wonderful to speak to somebody else who's equally as passionate about music. Oh, my God. Okay, I have to say it. Please come back to the show anytime in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I absolutely will. All right, you be brilliant today, okay? <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye, you too. Bye, Michael. Bye. You're a funny guy. <laughs>